For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I give a rat's ass about Twitter. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. Presented by Locked On, it's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Friday edition of the show. Kyle, special guest on today. Welcome. Man, if there's one way to my heart, it's to be a versatile, bendy, bursty pass rusher, and that is exactly what we have on this show, Joe. I'm super stoked. To welcome Brian Burns on to today's episode of the Draft Dudes. Brian Burns joining the illustrious list of Draft Dudes alumni that includes 2017 Offensive Rookie of the Year Alvin Kamara and 2017 First Round Draft Pick Jared Davis. And Josh Reynolds, Kyle. Josh Reynolds. Yeah, Josh Reynolds, a true dude. <laughs> true dude. Yes. And Tim Williams. Tim Another Williams. true dude. Dude, Tim Williams called us, or we called Tim Williams, and he took our call from the hospital because his daughter was just born like that morning. And we were like, yeah. Tim, like, do you want us to call you back? And he was like, nah, man, it's cool. Like, I'm I'm good. Let's talk. Let's talk ball. So, I mean, we've had great experiences with every single guy that we've had on the, sh- on the show as guests, specifically as players. And I expect the same from Brian, just kind of listening to him. Uh, you know, anytime we get an interview and we, you realize you're going to talk to a guy, you know, you like to kind of do a little bit of research and listen to some of the things that people have been asking him throughout the course of the season. So that's something I've done in preparation for talking to Brian today and, and really excited to get him on the phone and talk to him about the art of the pass rush. Yeah. So what do you say we get right into this thing? We're joined today on the show by Brian Burns, Florida State pass rusher, guy that I'm a really big fan of. Brian, first and foremost, thanks for carving some time out of your day. I know the, the combine buildup is crazy, and then once you get to the combine, things get even more nuts. But uh, when I watched your film, one of the best qualities that stood out for me as I'm watching your game is your hand counters as a pass rusher. And I guess my first question for you is how do you handle having so many counters in your repertoire when you're in any live action rep do you kind of take inventory before the snap of what certain keys are or are you simply reacting to what a tackle is going to give you on any given pass set um it definitely it definitely depends on the tackle himself and what he what i've seen on film so like um like any indicators i mean like i try to play as much detail as i can the film so any indicators like his foot his outside foot is turn this a certain way when he's on a jump set or if his outside foot is deeper when he's on a deep set, I can kind of base my uh, predetermined move off of that. Um, if that, and then once I, once I do get the move I have in my head, and if it doesn't work, then I have to counter off of that move. 
I'm glad you mentioned the film study. One of the other things that I was hoping to ask you about is when you sit down at the beginning of the week and you're studying upcoming offensive tackles, uh, what are some more of the specifics? You talked about, you know, the, the angle of that outside foot and his maybe his tendencies on the degrees of his pass set or the depth of his pass sets. What other kinds of things can you key on as a pass rusher and how can you use those to craft a pass rush plan throughout an entire 60 minute football game? Um, there's really a lot of things. Um, but first, in the beginning of the week of the game, of the, a big, beginning of the week of the game, my opponent, I just watch the game regular without writing down anything or actually studying anybody. I just watch the game, just just regular. But um, once I do get into my study, I'll look at the the tackle's position, and I I also look at the quarterback. That's another key. Like um, quarterbacks have a lot of tendencies too. Like they may drop their leg if they're going to take a three step drop or a five step drop with a quick pass. They they leg may be parallel. So I mean, just looking at those certain things and also the down and distance can allow you to to really know what you're going to get. So if I'm going to get a deep pass, I know i got more time. If I'm going to get a quick pass, I know I won't have that much time, so I'll probably try to get my hands up. But those are the things I pretty much look at while I'm watching film. You, you kind of talked about the context of game situations and third longs you're going to get different pass sets, different passing concepts than what you'll get maybe on second and five if you're, if you're, you're expecting an anticipating pass based on keys. Uh, so... When you're in that situation, how much of your pass rush plan on a play-by-play basis is the pre-staff stuff? Is it? Do you kind of treat it as, because I know everybody's different. If a guy gives me X, I'm going to come at him with Y, and then if he comes with A, I'll give him B, or are you strictly looking at, okay, here's my primary read in, in my pass rush, and then everything from thereafter is just based on the feedback, visual, and otherwise that he gives you after the snap? Oh uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I got, I have a primary move, and um, if he gives me something else, I have to react towards it. I mean, I don't really, I don't really like before the play sit in my head and say I'm gonna do this. But if he does that, I'm gonna do this. It's pretty much I'm gonna do this, and if he does something that that affects what I'm, my primary move, then I have a, a, a counter for it. And if the counter doesn't work, then get your hands up. Now, how early into a rep can you tell you got a guy on your primary move? Um, off the get off. Um. I'll know, like, if, if, if let's say my primary move is an inside spin, I'll know if my get-off is, is the way it should be and he turns his shoulders, he's pretty much dead. Or if, if my get-off is just too crazy, then I'll just abort the, the spin itself and just go ahead and corner the, um, corner the edge if it's just, that, if it's just that, that much of a difference. Uh, so we had Tim Williams on here from Alabama two years ago, and one of the things that he talked about was his landmark with his third step, and he was a guy that won a lot with speed, at the college level as well before getting drafted by Baltimore. Do you kind of treat your speed rushes with that same kind of approach where you're looking to get certain depth and get hit to hit by that third step? Yeah, most definitely. I think contact between you and the lineman always happens on the third step. So it'll be, it'll be ideal to, to be able to get hit to hit with him by my third step. So that, in, that, in that way, you have to have a good get up to uh, get, get in that position. Brian, one of the other things that I noticed when I was watching you specifically as a pass rusher was I love how you can keep tackles guessing by not necessarily making it initially clear what your primary is. I I detailed your uh, cross chop spin against Virginia Tech from week one. And Mm -hmm. when you first attack that left tackle, you flash that inside arm as though you were going to long arm him. 
And then you followed with that really sudden drop and it, it ended up popping his hands so far down. They were like down on his thigh pads. Can you talk to us about through the course of your football career, how you came to be so layered and nuanced as far as how you're coming at offensive tackles as a pass rusher? Um, I don't know. Just, just throughout my career and working with my brother, I just realized that going against somebody that much and it's really just a one-on-one battle. You have to, you have to play chess with them. You can't really let them know what you're going to do every time. I mean, like it's just, it's just different. You can't, you can't have this man. Like if you're doing speed every time, he's just going to keep running you by, running you by, running you by. If you don't attack his inside and keep him honest, then you'll never be able to get that outside. So I just feel like you just have to try to stay ahead of um, the offensive tackle and, and pretty much try to figure out what he thinks you're going to do and do the opposite. So as for a little bit of self-scouting, what do you think your most effective pass rush counter is and why? Uh, or do you have a favorite? My favorite is spin all day, but uh, my most effective one is probably my inside swim. I just feel like uh, I set it up. I set it up really good with my um, with the jab outside, and it's real tight and it's over the top. It's not not a wild. It's not a wild spin to get me washed. So I think um, that's probably my most effective counter. Now, one of your best qualities that that NFL teams are going to look at is they're going to see your length as a pass rusher. Can you just talk a little bit for people who may not be super experienced or, or not familiar with pass rushers, how you can use that length to your advantage prior to first contact and in your secondary counters? Um, just having length in general is just a blessing because it keeps keeps space between you and the lineman, so he can't really grab you. I mean, once they once they get their paws on you, every every good offensive lineman holds. So once they get their paws on you, pretty much over. But I mean, that length is very ideal when it comes to to long arms and and strips. I mean, that length can be something from a strip sack and a touchdown. That's the difference. So I mean, to any young pass rusher, if you got the length, use it. Last question for you, Brian. What do you feel like your, is your most underrated quality as a football player? Hmm. Underrated quality. Um, I'd probably say my, my versatility. I mean, um, I don't really get to display it much. I don't, I don't really rep it in practice, but I feel like I can definitely be out of space and I can definitely cause some, some type of havoc out there. So um, I would probably, probably key in more on that. That's, uh, that's one thing I don't, I don't really get a lot of recognition for. Well, you'll certainly get a chance to showcase some of that athleticism at the Combine. So uh, thanks for taking time, man. Can you just tell everybody where you're training at and give a shout-out to the guys that you're working with in your Combine prep? Uh, right now I'm training at Exos in Arizona. And uh, just give a shout-out to, to CAA and One Street Nation for, for the opportunity. But um, the guys I'm working out, out there with is um, Barlow and Nick. And um, all the, all my other companions out there that are training for the combine. Well, Brian, man, we wish you the absolute best of luck. We're huge fans of you here at the Draft Network, and we love your game. And we have no question that you're going to get to the combine. You're going to crush it, and uh, all the best to you in the build up to the combine and the NFL draft. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. Your thoughts as we we bid adieu to Brian Burns on today's episode of the Draft Dudes. Man, I I really just enjoyed listening to him talk about the technical side of football. You hear a lot of prospect interviews this time of year, and it's it's a lot it's a lot about things that have to do with maybe the school they came from or uh, stuff that just we, – we, I love that you gave him a chance to talk about his football IQ and, and the preparation levels that he mentioned and 
you know, the things that he does during the course of the week to get ready for a game, obviously talking about the tendencies of the offensive tackle, but what really resonated with me was the work that he does to be aware of the tendencies of the quarterback and what they do. If there's certain tip-offs that he can get based on understanding their mannerisms. And so just got a real deep appreciation there for his football IQ, his preparation, and, and how technically refined he is. And it just shows up when you watch him on tape. Right. So, I mean, it's apparent when you watch, and that, that was the first thing I had to ask him is, dude, you've got so many different moves at your disposal. How do you filter through that many opportunities as a rusher? And for him to, to immediately go into depth about the film preparation and the things that you key on and those short sets versus deep sets and 45 degree sets and the the depth of the quarterback and down and distance. And I think that a lot of that get, gets lost, right? Because as a pass rusher, your expectation is, okay, just, just run by the offensive tackle. Don't let the offensive tackle block you. But to understand the mental inventory that you have to take in order to, is it second and five? Is it third and 12? What is the tendencies of this team on the depth of their quarterbacks drops? What is the tendency of the offensive tackle with his hands and with his feet? And how can you tell in the very minute details of a football player that they're going to they're gonna try and cheat when they can and make life as easy for themselves as possible to execute that function depending on the game situations? And to listen to him kind of talk about, even unsolicited with me just asking the first question, the detail and and the detail that he looks at specifically just blew me away. And, and you wouldn't really expect anything less from a guy that has so many layers to his pass rush game. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so much to consider in a condensed time frame, right? Like all the things you just said have to manifest themselves in, in milliseconds, literally for him to be able to be the most effective he can on any given rep. And it's, that's what's so interesting about him is, is he has so many tools in his toolbox in terms of length and bend and flexibility and pass rush counters and just so much to him. But it's the mental side on top of that, that I think really makes him one of the best prospects in this class. You know, my favorite thing was about asking him. I asked him so much about the technical components of the game, but the answers that he had, they were layered, but they were simple. Right. Like I asked him, you know, guys think of things differently. Are you a guy that's going to, if he gives me X, I'll do Y, or if he gives me A, I'll do B. He said, no, man. Like you, you kind of craft your pass rush plan based on game situation and the tendency of the football player. You know, primarily how you want to attack him as a football player. And then within the first two steps, you know, if you've got him or not. And if not, then you take the feedback that he gives you and you follow up with your secondary counter. Like he's not making the game overly complicated. And I think a lot of guys, it would be very easy with that much that he has from a technical perspective and how he can attack offensive tackles. It would be so easy to get paralyzed by all that information. He doesn't let himself do that. And I think that's why you see so much success for him as a pass rusher. Yeah. And I really liked when you started asking him about what his favorite counter was and just kind of seeing what he would say. And then he started to mention the, the spin and then he's like, no, no, my most effective is that uh, that inside swim where he does such a nice job of really selling that outside move, forcing that offensive tackle to open their hips. And then it's simultaneously that jab out, outside, the offensive tackle shoots their hands. He clears it with the cross. 
and then it's a little swim over top, which he beautifully works into a uh, a, a dip and rip, and, and he gets so much pressure. I highlighted a play on my Twitter uh, of him doing that against Boston College just before the interview, and then and then to hear him talk about that was pretty cool. And then as I watch more games, I'm like, man, this is a pretty dynamic move that he strings together multiple moves fluidly with good time. Yeah, and, and really, you know, Brian is a pass rusher. The length is a quality that teams are immediately going to be attracted to, right? And he talked about the value there of not letting guys set up their mitts, but I think a really underrated piece that it, we didn't necessarily talk about, me and Brian, but if you watch Burns set up his pass rushes and how he addresses, he said contact takes place on the third step. That's always true with Brian. It doesn't matter if you try and deep set him, you try and short set him. He understands and he understands the value of driving up the field and then having his hands and feet work in unison. That's a, that's a problem you see with a lot of offensive tackles, right? Like their hands and feet are in chorus. And what that means is a guy might be throwing a punch, but if he's not tethered to the ground appropriately, he's not going to have any functional power behind. Well, Brian, as he presses up the field and he, he's in that third step, he's either set you up outside and he's starting to come back inside against you already, or he's forced you to hinge so hard that as an offensive tackle, you ha- you aren't able to sustain the integrity of your edge and you've softened your angle because you've had to hinge and compensate for his speed if you're slow out of the blocks. So for Brian to acknowledge, you know, contact happens in the third step. And then to think about the way that he utilizes that length and the ways in which he marries his hands and his feet to set up offensive tackles for whatever counter he has. As you said, this happens in milliseconds. It's just really impressive to see and then hear him kind of extrapolate on that. Yeah, he's an impressive dude. And and it's it's always nice to uh, to get, get them on the show and it feels like you just have a deeper appreciation of, of them. And obviously the, the football intelligence really, really, really pops and uh, someone's going to get a good player, man. And, uh, you know, we'll see where he goes and, and, and what team, you know, what they want him to do. But I, I just see this guy having a lot of success in a critical component to winning football games and fielding a good defense. I thought it was interesting. I asked him most underrated trait. He said his, his versatility and his athleticism in space was something he didn't showcase. So if you're a 3-4 outside linebacker team, right, you need a guy that can play in a stand-up role maybe work out in the flats a little bit. Uh, if Brian brings you that component, and it's it's like a lot of running backs at the college level with pass catching, right? Just because they're not asked to do it doesn't mean they can't do it. So I think the combine is going to be a great opportunity for Brian to go yeah. out and show that he can move in space, which I expect he can because I think from a functional athletic perspective, he's an elite athlete for his, his length and his size. So I know that the the weight is a big question. We'll see what he shows up as. But with the opportunity to talk to Brian, I'm not gonna sit here and ask him, you know, what are you weighing these days? You know, what what do you what do you hope to to weigh in at the combine with all the questions? like you know, there's there's so many he'll show up and he'll weigh what he weighs. And I expect, you know, he's surrounded by good people that understand the draft process. I'm sure they're focused on that and and hoping to address those questions. But um well, the, it's the interesting combine. though, right? Go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting because the weight is going to be a question with Brian Burns, but we should only be interested in weight as it affects their ability to play football, right? Correct. And you and I and have talked about he, this. 
Right. Did we not talk have about functional strength problems. No. Right, right, right. And it, part of that is because he's so good with his hands and he, he's very fixated on keeping his pads clear and, and keeping hands off of them. But like there are plenty of times where he leverages his hips and forces runs back inside and really does a good job of setting the edge both you know in a power situation where he needs to really be firm, but then also stringing it out and maintaining outside leverage and forcing runs back inside to his buddies when he has to. So it's only an issue if it's an issue, and I think that he's probably going to weigh in a little bit better than people expect. Listen, I don't know what the expectation is for a lot of folks, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I like Burns against the the run better than what I, better than what I liked Jakai Polite against the run, Joe. And you and I talked about that in the pre-show before the interview a little bit. And you know, it, n- neither one of us has really done the full deep dive. I haven't written Jakai's complete in-depth scouting report yet, but I've probably watched three or four games of Jakai, and I watched probably seven or eight games of Brian Burns. And I, I really don't have questions, especially if he goes to a 3-4 outside linebacking team where you're naturally going to be lined up a little wider. You know, these were the questions that TJ Watt had coming out of Wisconsin. Very different players as far as TJ was a little bit more. Uh, he won with push-pull. He worked his hips over you really well as far as an outside rusher. He had nowhere near the repertoire or, or versatility of his hand counters is what Brian Burns does. He doesn't even have that kind of length. But TJ Watt was a great football player at Wisconsin that people were like, oh, he's too small to play on the edge. He can't set the run. Well, he goes to Pittsburgh, and he plays in a 3-4 outside linebacker role. And T.J. Watt also had great hands, just like Brian Burns does. And you see T.J. Watt make an impact throughout the course of his first two seasons because he's playing a little bit wider natural alignment, and he understands the value of length separation in his handwork. So for Brian, you know, again, he's off the air now, but I would just like to thank him for his time, like, Anytime, Joe, that we have the opportunity to talk to guys and, and they're like, whether it's it's them, them themselves or somebody that's in their camp and they're willing to carve out 15 minutes of time in the end of January, beginning of February, like when you're in full court press for the combine, like I can't stress enough like how much we appreciate that because we understand the draft process and how chaotic this building is in the, like the, the combine, they throw you into the fire feet first. So I think it's just really cool of, of Brian to take some time out and we can't thank him enough. Yeah, no question. Any parting thoughts for the latest draft dudes, alumni, Brian Burns, before we sign off for the week, Joe? Nah, it sounds like we got another, uh, another first rounder to put on the board here for the draft dudes, alumni. Heck yeah. Listen, there's a high expectation here. And I think all of our guys, like, listen, even like Josh Reynolds was, what was he, a fourth round pick? Yeah. As a draft dude's alumni. Listen, the dude might win a Super Bowl this weekend. And because of some of the injuries to the the Rams, Reynolds has had a pretty nice level of impact for the Rams passing offense here in the playoffs. So we're definitely rooting for Josh Joe. I know both of us can speak as fellow AFC East football fans. Our Rams this weekend, yes. You know, it's funny, right? I put a I put it out to the listeners of Locked On Bills today, and I said, uh, I said, if you wait, were you're doing another podcast. <laughs> you never know it, you traitor. Yeah, I feel betrayed. Yeah, it's almost like 
It's almost like you were on it last Friday yeah, for well, some reason, if I remember yeah, well. correctly. I posed to the listeners, so I'm anxious for their feedback. I said, if you were guaranteed that Tom Brady would be playing his last football game, if you won the Super Bowl on Sunday, would you root for the Patriots? I need Tom and Bill to both be gone. <laughs> okay, so that's not good enough. <laughs> no, just just Tom's not good enough. Because like we saw like All the right. one year the Pats played without Tom, like Matt Cass, who came in, and he was trash for every other team in the league, and they won 11 games. It's got to be Bill and Tom. Both got to go. All right. So, so that's not that Tom himself is not. Enough. No, no, I need more. I need okay. more. And I think that really go just Rams. speaks to. Yeah. Go Rams. Our Rams <laughs> this weekend. Let's go, baby. Of course. Listen, of I'm course. Kyle Krabs at grinding the tape. Joe is at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Uh, thank you guys for taking some time out of your days. You know, we thank Brian for taking time out of his day. We also value you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us here at the draft dudes podcast. Uh, listen, we're up over 200 reviews on iTunes, which we are super stoked about. A lot of five stars, a couple of one stars, a couple of squares that just, you know, that's miserable. <laughs> so thank you so much if you took the time to review the podcast. If you're fresh to the draft, dudes, hit that subscribe button, follow along. I'm Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino. We'll catch up with you guys again on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.